Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 23, verses 32 through 38. I invite you to hear these words. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching. But the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. The word of God for the people of God. Friends, during the season of Lent, we are going to be looking every Sunday at statements made by Jesus uh, from the cross and looking at what they mean for us and how we can see the very heart of God on display in the life of Jesus there. Uh, This is a series called The Seven Words uh, that Jesus spoke from the cross. It comes to us uh, through, of course, the Gospels themselves, but also through many different writers over the centuries. And if you're interested in doing a little bit more study on these seven words, we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. in our fellowship hall uh, for a special class. We had our first meeting today on this passage and the words, Father, forgive them. So, as we have heard in this passage, the very first words that come from Jesus at the cross are, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. Now, the first thing you may notice is the first word is not really a word. It's a statement. And that is true of many of the things that we will see. They are more than just one word each week, and yet every now and then we will see that in Greek or in Aramaic, some of these are single words. But notice that we begin with a prayer. The first words from Jesus are not directed at us necessarily, but to God. An author and pastor uh, wrote this about all the sayings, the seven sayings that we find in the Gospels. The Gospels record seven statements Jesus made from the cross. There are three reasons why we can assume these statements are important and should be considered for what they teach us about Jesus, about his Father, and about ourselves. First, Jesus went to some effort and bore great pain to speak them. Second, Jesus came to reveal God, to be God's Word made flesh. And finally, The gospel writers, as they were trying to communicate not only who Jesus was and what he did, but also the significance of his life, felt that it was important to include his dying words. So notice that it's important that we study these words like Father forgive them because it took great energy for Jesus to utter these. They mean something. They cost something with every breath. And secondly, 
He is not only enacting these moments, but he is meant to be God's presence with us. Emmanuel, God with us. And so when he says these things, we can imagine, we can know, we can trust that God is also speaking them to us. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. In the study that we did in Sunday school, we spent a lot of time focusing on who needs forgiving. If you look at the Gospels up until this point, you will notice that after the seven uh, signs that we saw, see in the Gospel of John or the ministry of Jesus that we see in the other Gospels, when he gets to Jerusalem, many different things happen. There are people who celebrate him, who wave palms like we will in a matter of weeks and welcome him as this kingly leader. But they turn against him. They go from waving their palms on Palm Sunday to then calling for Barabbas, a criminal, to be set free so that Jesus would be crucified. We also see other things happening like Judas, one of the own disciples betraying Jesus and turning away from him for money and helping the Jewish leaders arrest him. We see Peter, after Jesus is arrested, denying Jesus three times, remember? And we see the Jewish leaders who have hated Jesus for all the times in which he has tried to say that they were wrong and that there was a different, more holy, more biblical way to lead people back to God. They were standing there mocking him and making fun of him. And there were Roman soldiers that didn't really know what was going on. They thought this was just a religious fanatic. Somebody at the temple wanted to silence and they were just doing their duty as they crucified him. All these people needed forgiving. But do you notice none of them asked for it? None of them asked for it. Not a single person is recorded in the Gospels at the cross saying, forgive us. There's one person who wants forgiveness, but he's a criminal on the cross. Most everyone else never even asked for it. Jesus speaks this prayer to God before anyone asks about it. And that says something about God, doesn't it? You know, uh, unfortunately, there are people in our world who feel like they are not worthy enough to walk into the doors of a church. They feel like they're not worthy enough to walk through the doors of the church. They feel like they've got to get their life in order because they imagine that all of us have our lives in order and that we are good, wonderful people and that we are just so good and loving and that we, we, everything is just perfect in our lives. They're broken and they're not as good as us. Is that the truth? No. Now, y'all are some pretty good people, but we're not perfect, are we? We are not perfect. In many ways, we're just as broken as everybody else is in this world. But some people don't feel worthy enough to come through the doors because their lives are not in order. I don't know if it's shame. I don't know if it's the wrong message being displayed by the world or by the church to the world. I, I don't know. But for people who feel that way, that they're not worthy to come through the doors of a church, here is the Son of God on a cross looking out the people who had done terrible things, and he says, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. 
They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand what they are doing at this moment. Forgive them. Jesus is handing out forgiveness before anyone asks. That's the kind of God, friends, that we follow, that we are about to see revealed to us again and again. A God of steadfast love and forgiveness. There are some people who believe that the God of the Old Testament is mean and vengeful, and the God of the New Testament is all about peace and love, right? They have not read one of my favorite Old Testament books. You're probably tired of me talking about it, the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah has Jonah getting so afraid of going to this place called Nineveh that was a bad place. They were, in, uh, they were guilty of a lot of bad things against people in the world. And God asked Jonah to go and preach to them. And Jonah decided not to go. Why? Why did he run? He should have had an, an enjoyable time going into Nineveh and telling them, y'all are bad and God's about to do something mean to you, but he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. He runs away from it. Finally, after the whole big fish thing, now some people are going to say it was a whale, Mike. Read the Bible again. Um, After the whole big fish thing, he gets back on the road and he begrudgingly goes to preach to Nineveh. And you know what happens in Nineveh? This, This town that was so mighty and rich and powerful, they all, they all repent and they're sorry. Even the king says we should be sorry we should cover ourselves in ashes and we should dress in sackcloth we should do all these things to make it clear to the god of this guy jonah that we're sorry and god forgives them and jonah goes off to pout in the sunshine the hot arid land out there he goes to pout and then it comes out what happened it comes out why jonah left in the first place jonah says i ran away because I knew you were a God of steadfast love and forgiveness. And if they were sorry, you would forgive them. Jonah knows God is a God of steadfast love and forgiveness. And sometimes he forgives people when they show their sorrow, when they repent, like the people of Nineveh. But sometimes God forgives people before they even ask, like Jesus does at the cross. The other important thing I think about this passage is about how Jesus says more than just, Father, forgive them. He says, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. As a pastor, uh, every now and then, people come and, and talk to me and they're looking for help because they've made some serious errors. And it's not my job to judge them. It's not my job to say, you fool, right? (laughs) Why did you do that? It's my job to help them figure out how to make things right again, how to apologize, how to reconcile, how to move forward, how to get back into a right relationship with God and others. But along the way, I, I might ask a question or two, like, what were you thinking? What were you thinking? Do you know what most people say when I ask them the question, what were you thinking? I wasn't thinking. I wasn't thinking. I didn't know what I was doing. My wife, Julie, I call her uh, my life coach because there's always a better way for me to do things. It's usually her way. (laughs) She often says, 
why did you load the dishwasher like that? And I've gotten really good at saying, I didn't know what I was doing. Why did you wash this many clothes together? They're never going to get that dry. We're going to have to dry them in two cycles. I didn't know what I was doing. I get really good at saying I didn't know what I was doing because often I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not thinking. I'm doing. I know that we have some people in the room who are very good at doing things but not really thinking through them. Am I right? We sometimes live on autopilot and we don't think about what we're doing. We come to worship. And we say the words of the Lord's Prayer or the Apostles' Creed and we don't think about what they mean. We come to worship and we hear messages about how we should forgive others and then we go back into the world and we don't forgive others. We go through life not thinking about where we're going and why. We're not intentional with our moments. We don't take the precious minutes and hours that we are given to enjoy the people in our lives or to find ways to bless others, we go through our lives not thinking about what we're doing. And friends, sometimes we luck into doing good things when we don't know what we're doing. But sometimes we make grave errors. We commit sins against others because we don't know what we're doing. The season of Lent is before us as an opportunity to, for, for us to think about what we're doing, right? To be reflective, to think about how I live my life, how you live your life. Does my life show God to others? Have I taken every opportunity to pass on love and forgiveness? Have I shown people God's love in the way that I treat other people? Am I honoring God or am I really paying towards my own secure future? Am I actually honoring God with my words or am I living for myself and am I hurting anybody in the way of me doing that? Living with intentionality is not easy. It takes a lot of focus and a lot of prayer. I know a pastor who uh, every morning gets up and he prays to God. The very first thing he does, he prays to God that he will be a good husband, a good father, that he will be a good pastor and that he will lead his church well and that he will look for opportunities to do what God wants him to do. He does that every day because he believes if he doesn't get down on his knees in the morning and say that prayer, what's going to happen? He's not going to live with intentionality and he's going to miss the signs that come his way. And he prays at the end of the night. God, thank you for the ways in which you helped me do these things that I did. And forgive me for the ways in which I missed the moments. Living with intentionality takes effort. And it's going to lead to a lot of successes and failures. And what we do with those failures matters. Learning from our mistakes. Living with intentionality is not just about planning for a good day. It's about making sure that you are planning, learning, growing, and planning again. Learning, doing, reflecting, 
and trying again. Living with intentionality so that we stop doing some of the things that we do when we don't know what we're doing. Friends, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be the kind of person that bars somebody from church or from God or from friendship or from community because I didn't know what I was doing and I ended up stepping on their toes or stepping on their heart. In the United Methodist uh, movement, there is an understanding, uh, a sort of idea of how we're supposed to live together in community within the church. And the first one is do good. There are three simple rules. And a bishop has written a great little tiny book on this. The first one is do good. Do all the good you can. This is part of the Methodist history, right? People who were Methodists would practice things like going to the orphanages, going to the prisons, going to the hospitals, loving their neighbor, feeding their neighbor. Do good. Do all the good you can. Number two is do no harm. Don't harm people. Don't do things that actively hurt people or their relationship with God. And the third is attend to the spiritual disciplines. Stay in love with God. Do things that keep you grounded Do things, practices, Bible study, prayer, worship, all those things that help us stay connected to God so that we're living with more holy intentionality. Not just making sure that every hour of our day is productive, but that it is productive in a divine way. Lent, often the focus is upon doing that third thing, the spiritual disciplines, doing things, giving up things so that we are staying grounded upon God and his word and his purpose for our lives. We need to do that. Whether or not you have given something up for Lent or taken something on for Lent, you can still do that even though you've missed about four days. That's okay. That's okay. But I want us, for this moment at least, to consider the first two things from our Methodist heritage. Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The more that we know what we're doing and we're doing more good, and we're doing less harm, then hopefully we are living as better examples of God's love and forgiveness in the world. Hopefully, we are showing, we are showing that God can and must be trusted, that God is a God of doing good things in people's lives. That God is a God who wants people to learn and grow. He is not here to bash us into feeling horrible, but to show us that some of the things in our lives are horrible. Some of the things in our relationships are not good and they need to be fixed. But ultimately God does this out of love for us to help us become who we are supposed to be, who we can be, who we should be. Uh, Bishop and author Will Willimon, who used to be our bishop here in Alabama, said in his book, Thank God It's Friday, about the seven last words of Jesus, saying that God has every right, in a sense, to say, you people, whether you knew what you were doing or not, have turned your nose up at us, at me, at the Spirit, at the Son. You have turned your nose up. You have, you have frequently done bad things. Sometimes you didn't even know what you're doing, and you ended up hurting 
God. And now here is my son up upon the cross. And, and what Willimon says is, is that God would have every right at that moment to abandon humanity. God would have every right to abandon people because even the disciples betrayed Jesus, right? Everybody led to this. But he says this is the other option that God has. God the Father could have abandoned God the Son, handed him over to our sinful hands. God could have left the Son to hang there as the hapless, helpless victim of our evil. And he could have done it out of love so that we would be able to find love and mercy and peace again. God could have abandoned us, but he didn't. He gave his son over to us. And through that sacrifice, through him laying down his life out of love, forgiveness was not only prayed for by Jesus, but was extended by God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to all of us. Remember that Jesus is the Son of God. When he prays, that is not simply just a request. That is part of God's answer to the evil in the world. God forgives because God is a God of steadfast love and forgiveness. God is love. None of us are off the hook for the consequences of our sins, but we are forgiven. And that, friends, is the beginning of the good news. The words matter. The words from the cross matter. And the first words are prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. On this first Sunday of Lent, we can say thanks be to God that he is a God of forgiveness. And the second thing we can do on this first Sunday is to make every effort to stop living a life where we don't know what we're doing to live with more intentionality and to make every step, every action, every word that we utter have meaning and purpose. But that is a journey, a commitment, a lifestyle, not just a decision one Sunday in Lent. It's a commitment to let our hearts truly belong to God. Well, thank you for joining us. And I hope that you found this message to be meaningful and life-giving. I look forward to you joining us next time, either on our live stream on Sunday mornings here at Bluff Park United Methodist Church. It's at 10 o'clock a.m. Or if you want to join us in person, you're welcome to do so. Also here at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can find out more about our church family, who we are, what we do, and how to get involved, as well as more information about our worship services at www.bluffparkumc.org. Hope you have a great week, and we look forward to seeing you next time.